Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman. Guys, I know I don't normally record on Fridays, but this is a special edition. We're going to be talking to my friend David. He has over 30 years in the military and also changing the world to civilian sector. But we're talking about something that's very important is getting your company veteran ready because veterans are the best of the best. So why not have them in your company? So we're going to be talking about that. And at the end, I'm sure we're going to be throwing a little bit of something special in there just for you guys. So David is is one of my greatest friends, amazing, best-selling author. Like I said, 30 years in, in the Air Force. So he knows the ins and outs of the military and transitioning. David, brother, welcome to the show. Brother, first of all, you doing this on a Friday is like an honor, right? This is like getting your your the, the your secret recipe, number one. And then, you know, for the listeners, hey, I reached out. Uh, I reached out to Rich and said, hey, I, I, you know what? We need to talk about this. Talk about this on the business side of things, but uh, but also um, uh, just a new approach to to address some things. We'll talk about it in the podcast, and and I and I'm really really excited about it. Uh, uh, for up here in, in Montana and all the way to New Jersey and back to San Diego and Miami and, and Seattle. I mean, this just this, this covers the whole gamut. And uh, I hope I, I spark some thought today. Uh, I hope I spark some outreach um, so that we can have some conversations. But I hope that we can do some things that will make your business more profitable, help your HR practices, and solve some veteran problems, uh, veteran challenges at the same time. So. All right, so before we get started, because I do have a TBI, so if I don't remember it, I'm never going to ask the question, what is your definition of resiliency? Right, so your thing. So you remember I told you last time, I said I kind of shy away from the word resiliency, and I like to lean towards balance, right? So if you look at like the four major things in your life to balance you, right? It's, it's what you're doing, right? What your purpose is. Sometimes that's work, but what your purpose is. Your family, you know, your inner circle, where you're balanced there, your health and your spirit, where, you know, where you are, where you are with God or where you are just within your internal spirit. How do you feel? If you're working on trying to keep those things balanced and you're kind of spending equal time there and you're developing in all of those areas, you tend to build resiliency because when you do have something that's a gut punch in one of those areas, uh, because of all the work you've done ahead of time, uh, you tend to be able to, to to work through that. So it's no different than, uh, you know, if you're hitting the gym or you're, you're, you know, you and I put in a lot of miles walking and we put a lot of time in walking and keeping ourselves, um, you know, in, in some, some semblance of shape. Well, you know, when you go into that next thing, whatever that is, having to walk up a hill or walk down a hill or climb a flight of stairs, you've already built resilience to be able to do that. You didn't know the flight of stairs was going to be there, or you didn't know the appointment you're going to was on the fifth floor. Um, funny story. I was delivering a firearm all the way from Guam to a guy that was training at uh, Fort Carson in, in uh, Colorado. And the guy told me, you need to deliver it on the third floor. And I didn't even think. And I start running up there. And by the time I got up there, I thought I was going to die because the altitude was like 5,000 feet and I'd come from Guam. So I didn't have any resilience for the altitude. So I think that we have to we have to build those things. So, so you have to have some foundation and then resilience is, is, is your ability to have the right things, the right people and the right stuff in your life that you can take things on, even if you didn't know they were coming or you don't know, it's your first time um, encountering it. So. All right. So like I said, I've had you on the show before we've, and we, if you guys are interested, you can go back and find the old episode. He said he's did over 30 years in the air force. Um, multiple deployments, been everywhere. We're not going to really talk about that. Um, so obviously you had to have some resilience, if you, especially you're spending 30 years in the military. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is because I found out, I, I said, I think I'm on like my almost my thousandth episode. Um, I find out that when men and women get out of the military, we lose our camaraderie, we lose our money, uh, we lose our mission. And then a lot of us, you know, like me, uh, either end up at the bottom of the bottle or at the other end of a weapon in my mouth. 
because we just we don't know who we are, you know, especially after me, 23 years. You know, if I'm not Sergeant Kaufman, well, who is Richard? And so it's for a lot of veterans just can't take it. And that's why we're losing up to 50, 50 veterans a day to suicide, because a lot of us, we just don't know how to transition. And like when I had General Petraeus on, I said, sir, you know, you you teach us six, train us six, nine months a year to go to war. You don't teach us how to come back. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is actually getting out there and transitioning. So, David, talk to us, you know, a little bit about before. Did you plan on getting out and what was your planning process before you got out? So and so 30 years, a long time. Right. So I was totally institutionalized. Right. I was in an institution. It's no different than being in prison for 30 years. I told somebody the other day that uh, how silly I felt, how silly I feel now, because, you know, when you're a chief, an E9, sergeant major, you get a lot of people that are transitioning at four years or eight years and they come up to you and they say, hey, I'm getting out. What do you what what do you suggest? And as the, you know, you're the senior enlisted guy, you're supposed to have all the answers. And you say stuff like, sit up straight at your interview, wear a tie, get some good civilian clothes, fluff up that resume, you know, take all that military stuff out of there, brag about yourself a little bit, don't be overly humble, and you send them out the gate. If I knew then what I know now, here's what I would have said. And, and I would have prepared differently. I would have said, Start transitioning before you know you even have to transition. We should probably talk about transition and basic training. Understand that you're in an institution and that you're going to someplace that doesn't look like the institution. You have to have some self-conversations with yourself about the fact that just because it doesn't look like it is right now does not make the people that you're living with or working for savages. You know, a lot of times we get out, we get into civilian organizations, every meeting starts 10 minutes late, people straggle in, and we think they're savages. Because 15 minutes on time is 15 minutes late, right? And so you have your own vernacular. And you and so we have this prism. We go into organizations, and these are the things that I would have done differently. We go into organizations, we show up an hour early, we work an hour and a half late, we answer our emails on Saturday. We come in, we, we double check on things on Sunday. We come in amped up on Monday morning, ready to go. And most people are trying to shake off the fog from Saturday to Sunday afternoon and get a couple cup, cups of coffee in them. We think we're an asset and the institution thinks we're an ass. And they think we're trying to take their jobs. So that that's just one phenomenon. Well, pretty soon you look around and you go, well, there's no place for me here. There's no camaraderie, right? You talked about that. There's no uh, there's no values alignment. We get into institutions; they have stuff written on the wall. They look they look like things we can identify with: integrity, excellence, service. They write them on the wall. They have them. You can find them in, in a lot of in a lot of uh, non-military institutions. However, we want the three-dimensional application of that. Don't scream across a shop floor that everybody has to have steel-toed boots on. And then you're standing there in open-toed sandals because we start looking for a job. So let me give you some data, uh, Richard. Right now, 43%, 43 out of every 100 veterans are going to leave their job in their first year for, for, the, for the majority of the reasons I just described and that you outlined, especially this sense of purpose and this community thing, this camaraderie thing, the wingman, battle buddy, shipmate stuff that goes on that we cherish. Uh, you know, identifying and writing for the brand. That's number one. Second data piece is 1,300 people today transitioned with their families. So on average, 5,000 people come out of the DOD into the civilian workforce. That's the size of one small town. It's the size of the town that I grew up in or grew up next to. It's just, that's the size of that. And those people are coming out with TAPS. We, I think we've all agreed that TAPS falls way short. They come out with TAPS or ETAPS if you're in a, if you're a senior leader. ETAPS, which is really no different. It's just a few hours longer. They come out with that. And then they come out into this vast morass of stuff. And there's stuff out there, Richard. Don't get me wrong. There's places to go, people to talk to. People will shuttle you around and say, here you go. 
But quite frankly, I haven't seen anybody that follows you through a continuum. Give you an example. If I fall off a horse tomorrow and I break my neck and I'm paralyzed from the waist down, there are systems out there, government and private systems, that kick into gear, that not only make sure I get all the rehabilitative stuff I can get, not only make sure that I get the wheelchair that I can get, not only make sure that I get the accommodations at home that I get, but when I roll that wheelchair into an employer's office looking for a job as a handicapped person, that employer through two means. One, because they know, because they, they, they probably have disabled people in their employment. And two, because we have the ADA, right? The ADA forces us to do certain things. You already know if you're going to hire that individual, what the ramps need to look like, what the bathrooms need to look like, what the, what the, where the person needs to sit, and, and how you have to rearrange cubicles, what you're going to tell your staff on how to accommodate them, and you're going to appoint somebody to get them out of the building and during a fire. Veterans show up with the challenges that we have, all of this stuff, vernacular, acronyms, um, uh, you know, the need for camaraderie, all of the things that we do, plus our work ethic and, the, and the, the strategic thinking that we bring to organizations. And even though the name on our badge says coordinator or manager, some of us may have worked at, at C-suite level for years. But there's nobody that has trained the civilians to understand how to assimilate the veteran into the culture, just like the person in the wheelchair. We drop them off. We say, we've got a 99% placement rate with all the veterans that have come through XYZ program and, uh, and we're getting grant money for these type of things and it's successful. But nobody ever calls the veteran back and says, how are you doing in a year? Because normally in a year, when, you, when 43 of them, when you call 43 of the first 100 that you place back in a year, you know where they're at? They're at the bar. Because they quit and they've gone to their next three favorite counselors, which are John, Jimmy, and Jack. And you and I have talked about that before. And actually, quite frankly, we've both been there. And in fact, Richard, tomorrow is five years to the day that I took my last drink. And I should have been dead five years ago today. And the clarity, I wish, it would have been, I, wish I would be telling you that that was 25 years ago. The clarity that goes along with that is, is huge. Well, if we're taking veterans and we're putting them into an environment, if you split the day up into three, eight hours, you're sleeping eight hours, you're working eight hours and eight hours, you're doing whatever you're doing, working on your balance, on your resilience, right? That's what you should be doing. If you're working one third of the time, that environment has got to be an environment where you feel welcome, where you can have this sense of purpose and you can assimilate instead of having these challenges. And the gap is not that civilians are mean or ornery or, or veterans need to get over it or that veterans think that all civilians are savages. And I say civilians, and that's a loose term for just people that don't have a military background, um, are savages. We're not having the conversations. And oh, by the way, as we talked about before we got on here, is not the place that we run when we have failure, we always run back to saying, what was our training? Was the person trained properly? If the training, if they were trained, was it the right training? Is the training adequated or, or current? We do all those things and then we make some changes in those environments. I don't see any place out there where we train employers to take on veterans like we would for handicapped people or anybody else. And I don't see where there's follow-up, where somebody is going back in to an organization and following up. So, All right, so I want to dig a little bit deeper into it, but before we do, I want to I want to thank our sponsors. As you guys know, I was I spent 23 years in the military, 30 years with GNC. I love pre-workouts. I love coffee, but they all tasted like ass. So I came out with my own. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. Yes, I'm drinking it right now. I get high on my own supply. But the best part about this coffee is number one, it's 100% hand roasted by veterans hands second of all um when you buy any coffee from me 100 percent of the profits go to help veterans struggling with ptsd and homelessness we're setting up a program where 12 12 veterans and their families will be taken care of for one full year at zero cost to the veteran or his family and that's including physical mentally and spiritually. So if you love coffee with a mission, write coffee down below. Also, guys, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, I love to eat, obviously. Uh, 
got a new new sponsor that came aboard called Muriel's Trattoria. They're here in Inlethurst, New Jersey. They make the best homemade Italian food, and it's all made with love. It's all handmade. Even the pasta is handmade. So, guys, if you love real Italian food, check out Muriel's, and I'll drop that link below. All right, David, so let me ask you a question because I had somebody else come on the show. We were talking last week because I knew we were going to be talking today. And he said, you know, a lot of veterans, when we get out of the military, we got a, we were out on a, on a Friday. We're out looking for a job on Monday. And a lot of us take the first job that's available. And for me, you know, once, say if you did 23 years or 30 years, we had a mission, you know, whether it was to, to save lives, whatever it was. But then you talk to me, you know, you go for a job and we're making widgets. And you're not telling me why we're making widgets. We're just making widgets. It doesn't have a draw to me. And I think that's why a lot of people quit. Because, you know, well, you, I just went from saving lives to now I'm in a, a sweat lodge making widgets. So talk to us about maybe just not getting out and taking the first job that you see and maybe take some time, you know, maybe a week or two just to get to know who you are and start to figure out who you are before you get into the workplace. I don't even think it's a week or two. If you've got terminal leave for four months. Don't even think about a job for four months or at least three and a half. Don't. I mean, the only thing you should probably do is just work on your resume. You need to go chill out, take a deep breath, hike up the side of a mountain, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, get, get some balance back in there. If you've got family, spend time with family, do not get straight back into it. But the phenomenon, what, what causes that? Oh, by the way, guilty as charged. I wish I could sit here and tell you a good news story where I did all this stuff. But it's what I tell people now. I had four months of terminal leave. I took just short of 30 days and I went back to work. I took the first for the first job that I was offered by a friend to manage restaurants. I thought, how hard can this be? It's 100 people. I've been, you know, my last job, I had thousands of people that I was responsible for. The whole mission, like you talked about. And, and I thought, how hard could this be? Most miserable job I ever had. Stressed me out even more. Never knew the why. When I tried to do the things that were inherent on how to, and you know, how to, how to, you know, lead people, grow people, you know, take managers and make them effective and all that kind of stuff, the hand was waved and it was, it was sell sandwiches. And I said, but all this stuff will help you sell sandwiches. No, it won't sell sandwiches. Well, that was really extremely unsatisfying. And the guy that hired me, who I would have certain point in time considered a, a really, really close acquaintance or, or maybe a friend uh, turned out to not be who I thought. And so I burned up 13 months of that. And when I came off the back end of that, I was a mess. I was a mess. And I said, okay, fine. I'm going to retire full time. I'll make my pension work. I'll do whatever. I'm going to retire full time. Well, about six months into that, I'm walking across my living room. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. Hunting season's over, which is one of my passions. And I got an open beer in my hand. It's 10 o'clock. And I knew I was going to end up dead somewhere if I didn't change. So then I started looking for a job. And then I kind of got into something that was that was amiable, but I wasn't I was getting paid chump change. I was way underpaid. And so that great struggle started. And it was not till like I told you five years ago that when this clarity came into my life through, through, through shock therapy, which is laying in a bed, knowing all I know, cause you know, I'm a nurse and, and I've done medicine for my whole life and, and worked as an independent duty medic. Uh, knowing what I know uh, and knowing I should have died and I got really, really lucky. And, and then I get rid of the alcohol. I decided to get all those balanced things back in my life that I talk about. And I thought, you know what? I'm qualified to do something now. I'm qualified to talk about this, exactly the question you brought up. I'm qualified to talk about the continuum from the day you get out all the way to where I'm sitting. And, and quite frankly, Richard, some of us need to go into business. Your, your show is wrapped around that. Some of us need to go into business and work for ourselves because working in systems that exist for us to work in are just not digestible. Not yet. Not until we can get the systems, the, the companies and the systems that we work in, veteran ready, 
which is, you know, what I'm offering. It's it's what I've put together. And uh, it's you All right, know, so, you know, something else I want to talk about is sure. let's look, let, you know, let's talk about culture. OK, uh, me and you can be down in the motor pool. We could be walking past each other to the chow hall and I'll be like, hey, fuck face. Yeah. You'll be like, what's up, numb nuts? Yeah. And walk past each other because that's love. That's the way, you know, military. We could talk to each other like that. But when you get into that civilian job, that civilian sector, you're you're, you're walking on eggshells. You're like, should I say this? Should I not say this? It's not my culture. Have you noticed that a lot? So um, Billings Flying Service, that's here in town. I got their ad on today. Billings Flying Service is about 50% vet because they're flying uh, 47s and uh, 60s, Blackhawks and Chinook. And, um, and they're doing firefighting and all kinds of stuff with them. So a huge veteran presence. And I'm talking to them about veteran ready. And, and they're, they're buying, they're like, yes, you know, we need to do this. And, and we're talking about some of the nuances. And one of them stops me, Richard, and he goes, will you add a module to your training to teach the civilians how to use the word fuck? And I started laughing and they were like, yeah, these guys have no clue. And so I had to tell them a quick story because when I was working in a healthcare institution, we had a safety meeting every day. And in there, you know, veterans find each other through almost nonverbal communication. You just kind of look and you get a feel. But I had known these guys for, for a while. One was a, a retired Navy guy and one was a former uh, former Marine. He'd done four years in the Marines. And I think in the room, we were only the only three veterans that attended that meeting. But like good veterans, we were always there early. And so the banter would start, right? And then you think about three different services in one room. Yeah. It's just going to happen, right? Yeah. One day we were really digging on each other, just like you described. I mean, it was deep, right? And, and, and we were all pretty seasoned. We all had good comebacks. And the COO of the organization happened to be running the meeting that day. And he's civilian and he hasn't been around that quote-unquote culture that you mentioned. He actually broke us up like a school principal breaking up a playground fight. He was like scolding us. You know, that's guys, that's, you know, this is a little unnerving. You guys need to settle down. And we all looked at each other and just laughed. But to me, that was that was the beginning of some distance there where they weren't willing to, to have full appreciation for that. You know, there's nothing worse than being sick and having a veteran come visit you in the hospital. Because they don't bring flowers. They come in and they go, get your ass out of the bed. You got shit to do. You know, what's wrong with you? You know, oh, oh, you only fell 12 feet. You you know, you broke your hip. What a weak hip you've got. You know, we just do crazy stuff like that. People don't have an appreciation for that. And actually, that is very calming for us. You know, that's, that, to have that interaction is calming for us because um, you've it's actually functioning at a really high level when you work off of camaraderie and trust and those kind of things. Because first, you know, that the person doesn't truly mean it. They're not going after you personally. And, you know, uh, we don't have trouble giving each other a hug and saying, I love you too. And, you know, and that's the great thing about veterans. Um, you know, we can, we can be in the bar busting on each other's chops, merciless, but let a civilian try to do that. Yeah. And all three of us are coming together yeah. and we're, and we're, and we're bringing hell with us. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but you know, something like for me, um, I use the word brother a lot um, and sister. If you raised your hand, no matter if you did a day, if you did a year, if you raised your hand and signed that oath, you're a brother to me forever. And I, and I love and appreciate you. And I think that's one thing that the civilian sector don't recognize. If I call you a brother, no matter if we're black, white, whatever, we're going to hug each other. We're going to yeah. tell each other we love each other. Because that we raised our hand and we all know, you know, we took that oath at whatever age we signed that check to the U.S. government up to including our life. And veteran, a lot of uh, civilians, they don't get that part that that's how much, you know, we signed that blank check. Right. And we're willing, you know, so if we're willing to die for the government, imagine what we're going to do for our friends and our family. Right. Well, and, you know, most of us will say, you know, when you get into combat, um, it's about to the guy, it's about the guy to the right and the left when you're there. 
I mean, you're not you're not getting up in the in the morning and you know going you know, God, country, flag, you know, all that type of stuff. You just got to take care of the guy to the right and left. Um, everything else takes care of itself. So you're right. Um, yeah. So I'm uh I'm at a meeting downtown. It's a it's a disaster management meeting, but it's at the United Way. And across the room, there's this big guy, bigger than me. He's a big guy. And uh, he says, my name's, you know, his first name's Zach. He says, my name's Zach. And he says, I'm a retired Air Force guy, firefighter. I do safety. Yeah. I'd never met him, Richard. You know, Billings, Montana is not that big. We're 100,000 people. You'd think every veteran could find each other, but it doesn't happen as readily as it should be. He says, I'm a retired Air Force guy. And so, you know, that's an automatic, right? When the meeting's over, you're going to talk. Right, because somebody went, well, Dave's a retired Air Force guy, and as soon as that's done, you're going to have a conversation. I meet with him afterwards. We do the we do the normal stuff that you and I are used to. You know, where are we stationed? When did you serve? You get it through all that. And we're walking out, and we're in the parking lot, and we're talking about, hey, we should get together and have coffee, you know, or go to lunch. And I said to him, I said, how are you doing? And in four sentences, he told me how crappy his job was, how hard he was having to assimilate. Tears start running down his eyes and he looks at me and he goes, I can't find my purpose. And then we're hugging each other. And then I'm following up with him 20 minutes later and we're having coffee the next morning and we're, we're building a, a, a bridge. We're building a relationship. We're building an outlet and we're working on that. And I'm mentoring, you know, I'm helping him with some stuff now. And I'm doing some mentoring with him to help him to work through that stuff. That guy was lonely. I mean, he's just out there lonely. And there's just no reason that, that we have to find, you know, that going on and then build the community stuff. And, you know, so you would hope that when you walk into an organization after you get out, which is going to form your new identity, right? It's your new, whatever the brand is, whatever the shirt says. If the shirt says J.P. Morgan or or Clorox or Bob's car rental. That's your new, your new identity. And wouldn't it be nice if something that looked like the old stuff for you to, to build around that, even if it's the ability to walk from, from working on a small engine to walk all the way to the HR department to open the door to say, Richard, you got a minute and close the door and go, this place is fucking killing me. And you go, yeah, man, but, and there's an outlet and you get, when that's gone, there's somebody in leadership that goes, you know what, we're probably gonna have to change some things. We got five veterans here. And every time we do this, they're all ready to jump off the top of the building figuratively or literally. And you change your culture a little bit to, to make it so that you're on the team. Cause we're not asking civilians to be militaristic and that, you know, you know, have revelry and retreat and all the other stuff that goes on with it. What we're asking for is for you to build some empathy because we've been led and led by him. We just want you to build some empathy, which means you've got to carry when somebody, Richard, this is where it all lies. When somebody says, thank you for your service, there's a follow on to that. When people are truly thankful at the level that these people express, the follow on is, is there anything I can do for you? And the answer is yes. You can be veteran ready. You can pick up my ruck and carry it the last 25 yards. Instead of telling me, I know you just set your ruck down, but now you got to call this number. You got to go over here. You got to go to the next person. Then you got to ruck up. You got to ruck 25 more yards to have somebody tell you, we really, really love you, but can you keep carrying the ruck? No, no. If they really want to do something, they'll, they'll, they'll put themselves in a situation where they've built a level of empathy institutionally and through their culture that this is treated just like anything else. Um, you know, we have a big, uh, and I don't want to hedge too much into this because this is emotional. We have a big DEI movement. And I don't even know what DEI means. I got asked this morning for my definition of DEI. And I said, I don't know what it means, but here's what I know. My DEI journey started in the barracks 40 years ago in San Antonio, Texas. I am a DDI, DEI expert based on what I see out there today. I said, but, you know, if you're God-fearing or not, Human beings intrinsically are good people and they have respect for everybody, regardless of what they look like or how they conduct their lives. And it's a shame to me that we've that we have gotten into places where we need programs and directors and coordinators to teach us 
what we should know inherently. Veterans bring that to organizations. We bridge so many gaps in organizations and we clean that up. Just give us a room where you can empathize to our struggles of being coming out of the institution. And it's not hard, but find me a civilian employer that says, yeah, when I was sitting down getting trained by a veteran like Richard Kaufman on post-traumatic stress, TBI, moral injury, which we haven't even talked about moral injury yet. I get so many calls because, you know, I've blogged on it and I get so many calls and people go, well, what's the difference? And I take them down my moral injury story and others to explain what moral injury is. And, and then and then I say, you see how a, you see how a, a GI or a Marine or a sailor or an airman. I said, do you see how these these guys and gals can come back from a combat environment where they were you know, in the rear with the gear? I mean, they weren't in a foxhole every day or, you know, taking mortar rounds every five minutes yet. They're injured. Well, because a lot of things that we have to do are counterintuitive to our value sets. This is a big deal. You tell me a civilian employer that can articulate that that way. And, you know, and unfortunately, this is one of the only shows where we actually talk about moral injury. You don't really hear about it much, but this is like one of the only shows that does it. So now let me ask you a question, because, you know, before we put anything into motion, you know, that's one thing about the military. You know, we know how to do SOPs. We know how to do nine lines. So I'm sure you sat down with a lot of, COOs, CFOs, CEOs, when a veteran walks into a CEO's office or HR manager's office, what do they see from their side of the desk? So on the, from the civilian side? Yep. Because a lot of us, we don't think about, you know, we only see what we see, but we don't see what the other person behind the desk is seeing when we walk in. Well, so having talked to some people that are interested in, 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 you know, in this concept, some of the things I just did, a, John Rennie's a great guy. He's a former Navy uh, submarine officer, and I've done a few podcasts with him, and he does stuff on leadership. We talked a little bit about this. They see people that they have a vernacular. I mean, you'll say stuff like, you know, what time am I supposed to, to, uh, to report? In an interview, you'll say that. What time am I supposed to report to work? And already the HR person's like, what do you mean report to work? You mean what time do you get to work? What time do you, What time does work start? Right? Uh, you know, we'll say things like, well, uh, when, I, when, I, when I come on base. And because you don't even realize it because it's so in there. Well, usually what's coming out of our mouths is what's on our resumes. And so leaders and organizations that want to bring veterans on have to spend extra time weeding through what things mean. And so a good example is if you say, I led a a military police company of 200 men doing prisoner of war operations in Iraq. Nobody can equate that to, you know, because everything's done at the company in the army, right? Everything, right? Company... Being a captain, company commander in the army is the worst job in the world, except unless you're the senior enlisted person that has to keep an eye on. So, so that's a rough job. But nobody understands that that guy, it's not that he was doing prisoner of war operations. He was handling 200 people, all the equipment, all he was responsible for all of those things. He's a logistician. He's a human resources person. He's a counselor and he's, you know, and he's a, a strategic thinker and he's a problem solver. But they don't get any of that. From that, so you have to weed that through. Well, they've already dumbed you down two positions, where you should be a director, you're at a coordinator level, because they don't know what to do with you. But what they do like is the fact that here's what they know, here's their paradigm, here's where it stops. What they do know is, and this is the good and the bad. This is what they think. It's not true, but this is what they think. They'll show up on time. They're probably not on drugs, right? Even though, even though they should assume that there's a high probability that we've had some relationship or continued relationship with probably substance, alcohol, or some something like that, they are not trained that way. Um, they probably are someone that's going to bark orders, and they're going to be so structured and regimented that they're going to drive us crazy because they're going to make us adhere to the policies. And then the big one, Richard, 
if we upset them, they're going to go home and get a firearm and they're going to shoot us all. That's, that has got to be fixed. And I hear it so many times. And you know what? If you say it in front of a bunch of civilians, their heads will start to nod. Because the way that we've been presented with PTSD, TBI, moral injury, and then anything, you know, our wars, less casualties, um, some brutal injuries, but less casualties than Vietnam and those kind of things, especially KIA. They didn't play out on television like Vietnam did. Vietnam took you to the gory. I mean, they took you to, you know, the, the famous video where they where the guy gets executed in the middle of the street, the Vietnam, the Vietnam newsreel. They, they let that happen. We didn't do so much of that with our wars. I never saw cameras in my trauma centers. And we had a lot of stuff rolled through there that would have been shaping politically and emotionally shaping for people. And so the, the, then they're left to assumptions. And so the sad thing is, is their assumptions are so far misaligned with what they're really getting. And how to leverage people, and where we should, and where we should settle, that uh, there's a disconnect. And we are raised from day one, no matter what service you're in, to take care of the team. And it was never. We got individual awards. People stuck medals on us, and those kind of things. And what did they do? They stuck a medal on it on us. They said, "Chief, do you have anything to say?" And you go, "I would have never gotten this medal if it wasn't for Joe, Billy, Johnny, my team, the squad, blah 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 blah." And that's what we're expected to say. And we say it and we actually mean it because we're always looking to to better our, our foxhole. But that's for the guy to the right and the left of you, not just for you. And and unfortunately, uh, that does not play out well with civilian. We have to go into civilian employers and say, listen, I led these people and here's all the stuff that I did. And it sounds like bragging. And we and we 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 go against that. So now you're six months into your job and, and somebody goes, oh, we've got this really tough thing. And you go, I can do that. And they go, well, how do you know how to do it? And you go, well, I've done it 10,000 times. When? Then when you really explain what you've done, they go, well, you didn't say that in your interview. No. And it doesn't say that in your resume. No. You know why? Because you didn't ask. That's the number one thing that I teach civilians. Stop saying thank you for your service and ask us our story. I've never met a veteran that won't tell you their story. And it doesn't have to be about blood and guts and gore and those kind of things. It just has to be. I grew up here. I went to basic training here. I went in. This is what I did. Here's the highlights of my, my career. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed that. This is what I miss. And here's how it made me better. Here's how it made me worse. Here's how it made me more worldly and, and built brotherhood and sister, brother-sister relationships. All right. That's so now important. let me ask you because, you know, um, I have a lot of, I'm very well connected. I have a lot of friends and family that work for Fortune 50 companies, Fortune 100 companies. And they, you know, they have a safe space if somebody's feelings get hurt. But if there's a veteran that says, I'm struggling, I need some time out. You know, I need some time to myself. I'm struggling with something. They don't get it. They don't understand it because it's not popular and it's not sexy. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I, I'm i going to say this wrong, Richard. So if anybody that's listening live, you know, types you a note and says, you know, tell the chief he's, he's nuts because um, I'm not going to candy coat it. I'm just going to say it the way it is. They take us for granted, Richard. Part of their paradigm is, is that veterans were all tough. We've all been through rough things. We don't have emotions. Veterans don't cry. Um, we don't get depressed. They don't. They think that we've overcome all of this stuff and that we have some magic potion. And quite frankly, the only thing that's that's keeping us up sometimes is just pure um, uh, anger. I mean, we just get mad. And then when we get mad, we do things. And oh, by the way, they don't know what we do when we leave work. But a lot of us numb ourselves. And then you you know and and so they don't under they don't understand um, they don't understand that piece. Let me talk to you about the safe space because it's part of Vet Ready. 3M does something that I think is be uh, beautiful, and I don't know if they still do it because COVID might have might have offset this. But 3M set up a whole laboratory with all of their resources, glue and funny stuff, and you can mix things, and people can go out there and do science projects. 
And, uh, and one of the things that came out of this thing was like the sticky stuff on the back of, of post-it notes, which was supposed to be high tensile, high tensile um, adhesive that would hold anything together. And they, they reverse engineered it by accident. So now we got the, the glue on sticking up on post-it notes. They let people go and use their resources to do innovation. And one of the things that I recommend is you've got to cut out veteran time. And but it, it's veteran time that's got some structure to it because we like structure. It's veteran time. And you go in a room. So basically, if you went in there and said, hey, this is driving me crazy. I'm going to leave the company. Somebody in there is going to become the informal leader. They're going to take notes. There's direct feedback from your veteran community. Somebody in there is going to go, you know what, if we move this over here and over there, I've done this in the past. If we just did these three things, we'd be that much more efficient. But they also get to get in there and they get the bitch, drop the F-bomb. They get to do whatever they do. And it's just a it's just a time where they can do that. I recommend it as frequently as one hour a week where it's veteran time. So it's something that you can look forward to. So instead of being all emotional on the on the on the manufacturing line or in the office space or in your car when you're going to, to, to do work for your company, whatever, instead of being emotional, then we're pretty good at throwing stuff in our ruck and pulling it out when it's appropriate. So if you knew every Wednesday at 3.30 that it was veteran time and that you were going to actually have some format that looked like the top three club, the NCO club, the, the smoke pit in the old days, right? Or the gym or the education office. If it looked like that, right? And there was some structure, some expectation that came out of that. You know, we'd pull up in the room and guys like you would go, you would go, uh, chief, who's going to take notes? And I would go, oh, I'll take notes. Or Richard, you take notes and we'll talk about it later, right? And one of us would just inform, it'd be like a union shop. One of us just informally would be the, the deliverer of the notes. It might go by our old rank. It might by, go by the position we have in the company. It might go by just who we respect the most. But somebody's going to represent. And in that's free. I mean, you're going to so pay him for an hour to do that. And, you know, not only that, but if, if I'm a CEO... And I say if I've got 10 veterans and if I, I know if I have a problem that I'm struggling with, if I bring it to those 10 guys and say, work this shit out, we're going to they're going to figure it out. Because, you know, even back in the military, we had the certain officers. They want to write the plans up and all that shit. Well, we already built the bridge. We'll write the plans later. Right. So, you right. know, I think that's one thing that veterans have above a lot of people is we can work on the fly. We can figure out problems yeah. if you just give us half a chance. You know what I mean? I um, I had a, uh, a major, he was an exec to our, our commander. And he came to me and he asked me to do something. He said, this was in Fairchild, Washington. He said, Chief, we need to do X, Y, and Z. And I said, okay, I got it. And he goes, well, how are you going to do it? And I said, that's not what you asked me. I said, you asked me to fix this. He goes, but I want to know how you're going to do it. And I said, no. I said, here's what I'll tell you. It'll be more illegal and ethical. So we got it done. And it was really two phone calls. I made two phone calls. It was done. He goes, that's amazing, Chief. What did you do? I said, that's not part of it. I said, sir, someday you're going to, and this guy, he's actually going to be a general. He's just finishing his wing command. Um, and I said, sir, I said, sir, someday you're going to be leading a lot of people and you're going to ask them to do a lot of things. And I said, you don't need to know how everything's done. You just need to, you just need to have the expectations on, on what you need done. Can you imagine if you had one civilian CEO that could say, I'm going to give some hard problems to veterans and let us fix it. Right. And tell them now here's, here's your policy change. This is what it needs to look like and let us fix it. I, I could save I could save them hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. The problem is, is that they don't have this understanding of how we work. We work Napoleonically, right? We work in the Napoleonic structure. When we have emergencies in this country, like COVID, what did we do? We fall in on a Napoleonic structure because it's efficient. You're working through subject matter expertise and everybody knows who they're reporting to. And there's a whole ease of communication. Napoleon put it together because he was sick of the same person telling him the same information 10 times on the battlefield. Can you right, imagine? So now, um, talking about, you know, um, getting a business veteran ready. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when I left the last company I was with, I was with them for 11 years. 
and I didn't realize until after I left when I was talking to him and we were having lunch one day and he said, yeah, I got tax breaks because number one, you're a veteran. Number two, you're a disabled veteran. So I've got tax breaks for the last 11 years that you didn't even know about. And a lot of people don't even know about. So talk to us about, you know, somebody, if you're a business owner or a CEO, they should be hiring veterans and dis, especially disabled veterans. Cause I mean, you get tax breaks out the, the friggin' wazoo. Right. Right. And I, and I, and I think they know that, but surprisingly, Richard, when you asked, and I just did this, the coffee that I came from, I just asked, I asked this young lady and said, how many veterans do you have in your organization? She goes, well, you know, she's a couple levels removed from the C-suite. And I said, well, okay, how many veterans do you have working under your directorship? She goes, I don't know. She goes, I don't know. The only people that know, Richard, the only people that truly track it and know are your finance officer and your HR person. And they can't even articulate it on Veterans Day. Because most of their communications on Veterans Day are, we want to thank you for your service out there, veterans, so on and so forth. If you had 10 veterans in your organization of, of 200, I would, my communication would say it would have your name on there and where you work and what service you were affiliated with. And by the way, we'd cut a cake. You know, those type of things. So it's, a, it's an awareness thing. So to, to answer your question, I'd say that what you just described there is discovery learning. I'd say if I went in and talked to, and I'm going to speculate here. If I go talk to 10 civilian employers that have been running their companies for a significant amount of time, let's say mid-sized companies, and said, do you realize if you hire disabled veterans, that you get these tax breaks? I think that half of them would say, tell me more about that. So that, and that's a whole other benefit to hiring veterans beyond what the people we bring. But I want healthy environments, you know? And I, so if a, if, a, if a CEO said to me, I can't tell you exactly how many veterans I have, Dave. And I'd say, then what in your environment is veteran friendly? Why, why you know, what makes veterans um, stay in your company? They're going to probably answer, why well, I, I really don't know. And then, you know, what do you do for Veterans Day? It's probably going to be either nothing or something very innocuous. I don't think it's too hard to close that gap because it's an empathy building thing. You just have, you have people facilitate it. You're more than qualified to facilitate what I've got here. I could give this to you tomorrow. You could walk down the street with three companies and in somewhere between three and 12 months have built a level of empathy and discussion that fills all these gaps, all these hard questions you've just given me. And it's just building a level of awareness, but there's nobody doing it. You know why? Cause this stuff's hard and I, and I don't mind hard stuff. It doesn't scare me because once you crack the nut once, once you have one company stand up, it's got a sticker on their wall that says I'm vet ready. And all of a sudden all their, all their, their gaps in their employment have been filled and you've got veterans working for you. And you, they might even be making a couple thousand dollars less a year for you. But because you've done this, they're going to, they're not only going to come, but they're going to stay. Well, you might pay, you might pay a guy like me to come in and do this one third of one FTE. And you're going to save three to four FTEs just by having the, just by having the presence, by, by having built the empathy. And guess what we, what, what we don't do when we can identify with some place and have some purpose. We stop drinking. We get the gun out of our mouth, Right. We start being more productive out in society. We work on our communities through volunteerism and the stuff that we know how to do to include on hard things, problem solving things like crime and homelessness and all the other things. So instead of being being part of the problem or at least being inert in, in, this, in, the, uh, in the solution set, we're empowered at work. We have purpose at work. And through that, we, we build community and then the extended community. And then we become part of the solutions to a lot of the problems that the communities are having across the nation. And that's everybody's suicide. That's everybody homeless. That's everybody mental health and not just veterans. So who better to you fix know, Like my dad, he came off the boat from Italy. Um, he served in the Italian army. But even though he was a package mechanic for, I guess, 30 or 40 years, his uniform was tight. 
He looked good. His haircut was done. Even though he only served two, two or four years in the military, he took it with him on those jobs. And the thing about my dad is if he was a veteran and he knew this was a great place for veterans to work, he was getting all his Italian buddies coming to work there. Because if, if you say, you know, something bad to a veteran, he's going to tell everybody. Oh. And if you tell, say, tell something good to a veteran, he's going to tell everybody. So I think if you have a company like that and you bring in Vet Ready and all of a sudden a year later, you know, every you know people are happy, more productive, and you have veterans are saying, hey, guys, when you get out, you need to come here. This is the place. That's when you change the whole culture, right? Yeah. And then you get all, I don't even need to say anymore. I don't even say, I'm going to take this little, this little clip out of the video and I'm going to take it with me when I talk. <laughs> you did a great job. I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. And, and, and so it needs to be propagated. I'm not talking about some, you know, some Senator standing up saying I inserted this thing into this bill and, and it's, you know, it's all great for the veterans, blah, blah, blah. I'm not talking about that. We, this has to be reverse engineered. That's started grassroots. It needs to start in small town, New Jersey and small town, Montana. And it needs to start at grassroots and it needs to be the story that you just told. Um, it needs to start at your Italian restaurant, which I think I'll use up some of my flying miles and come out and see and we'll do some pasta. That sounds awesome. So um, so it needs that. It just needs to happen, Richard. I mean, it just needs to happen. So here's what I know is I have I have limitations. I'm one guy with some help. I got some help that's going to start this here in Montana, maybe Nebraska. And maybe some parts of Wyoming using my network. And if and if it turns around my county city environment to where it's a veteran ready place, and that's it, then I've improved my foxhole. But I think that we we've got to we've got to continue to work on that. All right. Uh, so if I'm Joe Snuffy, you know, a business small business owner medium-sized business owner. And this all sounds well and good, but the big elephant in the room is how much, how much is this going to cost me? You know, so talk to us a little bit about the program itself sure. and how you get it into small town America. Sure. So you have to make it affordable, right? So there's a, there's almost a, there's almost a, a nonprofit piece to this. If you look at the program, it's got, uh, 26 modules in it and it's got you know i i have it spread over a 12-month program but I, we can do it in three and some of the things in there are learning veteran culture and our journey and veteran baggage and understanding the institution this is all cross-training right there's an interface with the veterans in here and those type of things so an average consultant to do something like this to come in and work with you especially on an extended amount of time is going to charge you 250 dollars an hour to do that so let's just let's just make, use easy numbers. It's a hundred hours. It's twenty five hundred dollars, right? You can't afford that. Here's what I would tell you: is that is one twentieth of one full FTE. And if I save you an FTE for the next five years because you've done this and you don't lose the veteran, then it's paid for itself. This whole program right here, uh, looking at it, is probably somewhere between about twenty four thousand dollars. I'm willing to do it for half or one third of that and offer free retained consultative services for 20 or for 12 months after that free. So to go back in, recheck the culture. If you get new employees to do some spot training with them, to get them caught up, to go back and interface with the veterans, maybe be that liaison between, you know, what can we do better to work on the culture, to work with the HR departments, to get policies and things written and driven like, like, having veteran time and those kind of things uh, built in into the culture and as to why to do those kind of things. So the number kind of seems, seems big, but uh, it can be done reasonably. And that's my goal. My goal is not to get rich, but it is my time and my time, you know, is, is valuable. So there has to be a number to it. Uh, right, so then again, thinking, I'm thinking as a CEO of my sure. own company, you know, not just a veteran, but Mm -hmm. if I'm thinking out of the box, why should I? What? Why should I go and worry about all this when I could just hire, you know, Joe Snuffy off the street that's not a veteran? Why should I have to go through all this? 
Right. Because because I need you to focus on what the good the veterans bring to your organization. Even if you hire somebody that gets out in four years. So most soldiers, when they get out in four years, are spec fours. Some of them are sergeants, but most of them are spec fours. If I hire a spec four, I already I'm hiring between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars of leadership training, writing, critical thinking, strategic thought, practical application, and 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 three dimensional uh, demonstration of values that you want in every employee, and you're probably drug free. So, uh, right there, you've taken a quantum leap to developing things. You're hiring people that within a year will be managing four people and in five years be a director and potentially being your number two in the company within 10 to 20 years. If you do this. Yeah. When you, when you break it down to the, you know, I, I always believe in the keep it simple, stupid, you know, I always believe in that. So when you break it down that way, you're like, yeah, you're getting a, you know, $400,000, you know, guy for, 15 grand, 20 grand. Yeah, that's kind of like, that's just sign me up. Where do I sign? Well, do you remember that piece of paper that we used to get? It was kind of a fat envelope. We'd get it every every once a year. And it would say, even though we're paying you this, this is how much we really have invested in you. And it would have all of your stuff, right? Your BAS, your BAQ, all those kind of things. And you go, oh, wow, I'm making, you know, I'm an E7 and I'm making, you know, $290,000 $290,000 a year because that was the that was the the underlying cost of of what the and I always I always looked at that and I kind of smiled and I thought what is their message well what a guy a smart guy so I'm obviously not smart guy would have hung on to those and taken them to their job interview cuz you don't have to say anything more it's all in there and then on top of that just put a note on top of that and say and I've been to these training classes no, and what? I think, you know, I'm thinking it back now you got me thinking, you know, like when I was in when I was a tank commander and I actually had to sign for my vehicle and I had to sign for four tanks. You know, that's hundred million dollar each vehicle. You know, that's four hundred million dollars equipment that you're 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 giving me a charge. You know who I am and you're letting me sign for that and save all rounds. And, and so, so I totally get where that's coming from, because sometimes. I think, you know, like I was telling my wife, at, you know, at one time, you know, I was a tank commander and I, and I was with platoon daddy for a while. I had four tanks and, you know, four crew under me, you know. So when, then when you get out, you're like, yeah, you know, maybe I should take that $30,000 a year job. We, we kind of really underestimate oh, where, just, our yeah. value, you yeah. know, our value. Yeah. It's, so here's what I would tell. Here's what I tell civilian employers. Let's take the average Joe, four-year Joe. When they get out, they're going to be, what, 23, 24 years old? If you hire a 23 or 24-year-old person into your company, they can't even rent a car because the data shows that rental cars won't give you a, a rental, rental car companies won't give you a rental car until you're 25 years old because your frontal lobe's not fully developed and you make bad decisions. If you hire a veteran at 23 years old, odds are they've driven a tank. And they've done it well and they didn't run anybody over. And oh, by the way, they learned the standards and they have safety stuff and they have, so they have frontal lobe development acceleration through training and discipline. So you don't even have to go through that process with people of them crashing your forklifts and banging your trucks into stuff and those kind of, it's not going to happen. We have safety, we have safety principles that are built into us that are just, um, they follow us for the rest of our lives. Just look how we do things. Even just driving, you know, like me, I'm looking five, 10 cars down the road. You know, even when I'm driving, it's just something, something that just gets ingrained in you. So my last question is, you know, how do we find you? How do we support your mission? And if I'm a CEO, CFO, how do I get vet ready? Sure. Okay. A few things. One is maxfabconsulting.com. And MaxFab is about that flag behind us. You and I have talked about it. MaxFab is an organizational culture that I did in Iraq that that pulled us through a lot of crazy stuff. And obviously it went so well that uh, they made a flag before I left. And that flag flew over our brothers and sisters in a trauma center in a place that was not a lot of fun. So 
it's a piece of history and there's a reason why it's there. So that's that's why the company's there. MaxFabConsulting.com on the internet. It's all there. Click on work with Dave and uh, you can get a hold of me and I can send you the one pager on uh, on what we're doing. Hey, what do you got to do to be vet ready? You got to be you got to be committed to learning a learning a separate culture. You got to be admitted to committed to to making some some cultural change in your organization for a few things. One is here's your opportunity to really answer the question. Thank you for your service and how you can give back to veterans uh, by building us a space where we can reassimilate to the civilian world, where we don't go through these trials and tribulations of loss of sense of purpose, depression, and and unfortunately, 50 times a day, self-elimination. And you can actually have a, 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 a private-public partnership that gives us the opportunity to thrive and survive. And at the same time, bring all of the wonderful things that come with what we're so proud of that was given to us through our journey in the military, be it four years or 30 years. And all the shipmates, battle buddies, and comrades that we picked up along the way that we can drag along into your institution, just like you described, Richard, through, during, through doing certain little things. One is learning our journey. Two is kind of understanding our baggage. Three is um, helping your veterans in your institution understand your civilian culture and how to reassimilate to that. Helping you understand how to three-dimensionalize your values so that when you're demonstrating the values you have on your wall, you actually build a bond and some and some trust and respect with veterans because we're looking for that. Um, and then uh, how to work your HR processes, you know, and, and the you know the the harder the harder uh, re, the refreezing of the change, how to work your HR processes into a place that makes you externally attractive to everybody out there because when you're looking for what we bring, especially technical and leadership expertise and uh, and and solid um, solid uh, resume as far as our work ethic. When you're looking for that, you're competing nationally for that. For those 1,300 a day, you're competing nationally. So why wouldn't you want to be vet ready? Because it's the one thing that's going to set you apart, that's going to make people step into your world and bring what they have because they want what you are. All right. So now also, as you guys know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a book I'm a book devourer. I, I, I got 15 books going right now as we speak. And your book is on the top, the very top of my list. I read every day. I, I read two, two pages. I read the whole book already three times. Now I use it as a workbook um, twice a day. I, I read two pages a day on it. So talk to us about your book and how do we find it? Sure. Giving back life and leadership from the farm to the combat zone. Leaders are anointed and appointed only by their peers and followers. Hey, the good news is, Richard, is two books coming out, and I'll give you and I'll give you um, a first first gig, um, especially on one of them. Second book's coming out is about is called Why the Cows Lie Down, and it goes back to my farm experiences and all of the subtleties in life that we walk by and that we miss that are warnings that could have kept us out of out of bad situations or avoided um, avoided things, and it talks about why people quit. And quitting when we don't have a choice, good quitting and quitting uh, in a bad way. So uh, and it's going to go right along the lines as, as the book you're reading. The book I'm reading is full of full of blocking and tackling. I think you would agree. And sometimes when we have when we have struggles in our leadership lives and our personal lives and in our growth, uh, sometimes we want to overcomplicate it. And I, I wrote a book that is short, consumable chapters with things to make you introspective at the each at the end of those that are really blocking and tackling in life and how to get really good at that. Because when the fundamentals come along, you become a championship person and you become a championship team. And that's all in there. And the next book's written that way. And then uh, excitingly enough in November, I'm collaborating with 12 other veterans um, with uh, leave no veteran behind. And we're writing a book and each of us is writing a chapter. Uh, I don't know what the other 11 chapters look like. I happen to meet one of the other authors today because she's in Montana, yesterday, because she's in Montana. But my chapter is on moral injury, my journey with moral injury, why it happened, how it happened. It's a story that I haven't haven't started to tell except for a couple of months ago. It's very difficult for me, um, and I hope I do it some justice. But I'd love to give you first crack when that book comes out to sit and to have a conversation about that. I love it. So how do we find your books? www.maxfabconsulting.com. And uh, you can just cruise the life of Dave. My blog page is on there. My newsletter is on there. If you 
if you fill out the thing and say, Dave, I want a free signed copy of your book to do the drop down, it'll come to my email. I'll get a signed copy of the book in the in the um, in the mail to you. I'll get you on my newsletter so that uh, you can you can consume that. And uh, and then uh, the vet ready stuff. Reach out to me if you're interested in the vet ready stuff. I'll send you the one pager. Uh, the only thing that I promise is that you at least get on the phone with me for 20 or 30 minutes to talk about this. And then and then off we go. And if I'm not in your local area and you're worried about me getting to you, um, don't. And the other thing is, is that Richard, guys like you and I can find plenty of people that are qualified to take a program like this into a company and make them vet ready. I love it. So, guys, make sure that you reach out to David. Like I said, he's very accessible. You send a message on Facebook, boom, right back. Um, email them, same thing. So make sure you get in touch with them. And, guys, as, as you know, one of my favorite quotes of all time is, I don't remember who said it. I think Joel Osteen might have said it. Um, but he says, it's your choice to be the victim or the victor. I choose to be a victor. So, guys, if you want to choose to be a victor and you also want to take, you know, if you're a veteran or a business owner and you want to start saving lives, vet ready is one of the best things you'll ever be able to do. I love you guys so much. Like I said, if you love coffee, let me know if you want the, the our coffee. If you guys love Italian food, let us know below. David, brother, I just want to say I'm so grateful that you chose me to be able to partner up with you and help as many people as we can. I'm truly humbled and grateful for your friendship. Well, I truly love you. And I have so much respect for what you're doing. And, uh, and I think we both kind of understand that every day's walk is difficult but we're never walking alone. So God bless you, brother. Let's uh, press on. Onward. I love it. All right, guys. I'll see you next week. Your safety brief is don't do anything stupid. I love you guys. God bless you. And remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is but up. I love you guys. David, have a great week, brother. Peace out, man. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.